Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television de- detective show and the 90s TV movies of mm. The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And if you looked at the title of this episode, you will see that we are covering, yes, uh, one of the remaining movies from the 90s featuring mm-hmm. the reunited Rockford Files cast and crew. This one is from 1997, Murders and Misdemeanors. We're getting we're getting into the future here. Mm-hmm. I will say that the overall vibe is much more what I think of, of as the 90s in yeah. I mean in the last couple movies, but I feel like this one the music alone oh, will, yeah. will let you know what era you're in. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But just like the, you know, the outfits, the haircuts, mm-hmm. the the style of lighting and all that stuff. Like this looks like a movie from the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, just watched from um, the same era uh, a made-for-TV movie called Stormy Weathers, starring Sybil C- Shepard as mm. a private detective in L.A. Nice. Just putting that out there. That's a, another. Ni- if you're looking for other '90s made-for-TV noirs, <laughs> is that a is that an Epi recommends? It's an Epi recommends. No, it's fun. It's fun. It's not. Um, well, much like this one, it's not a lot of twists and turns in the plot, but there's really snappy dialogue. And it's <laughs> it's really like, you know, you, you're just, just like, oh, yeah, I didn't expect it to be. <laughs> it's on Tubi. And we just watched it because it like recommended it to us. And I was like, well, why would you recommend? Oh, I see why you would recommend I this see. to me. Like, I, this is, <laughs> yeah. But we're here. That's our other podcast. Our <laughs> Sybil Shepherd as a uh, private eye, mm. where we do moonlighting, stormy weathers, and I think that's it. Well, this movie is uh, one of the two additional movies that was uh, ordered by CBS. So if you haven't listened to one of our movie episodes before, which is fine because we do them very occasionally. Our last one was our episode 112, Punishment and Crime, uh, just about a year ago, back in February of 2023. Yeah. The 90s movies, uh, the concept got shopped around a little bit and they ended up getting picked up by CBS, which is significant because it's not NBC, mm-hmm. which was, you know, the root of all the all the. Uh, legal People. issues after <laughs> the original <laughs> show went off the air. Universal, NBC, and and Cherokee Productions all wrangling over what money was owed to who. So CBS ended up picking up these movies. So they got a package of six movies with an option for more. And after the fifth movie, uh, which was uh, Friends and Foul Play, the one with uh, Chapman and Jim going back to school for the class mm-hmm. and uh, et cetera. I guess they exercised their option and ordered two more movies. So this one and then the final one, uh, which is which is yet to come. Um, This movie was also the first one in a while to air on a Friday night. Um, The first couple were on a Sunday night uh, to capture post murder. She wrote audiences and then they just like got transitioned to kind of death nights for some reason, Um, Mm -hmm. like Thursday and yeah, like against like the hottest sitcoms. so this one was back on uh, back on Friday night. It's it's back in a good time slot, um, which I think is good because it was a pretty fun movie. I think if you just ran across it on the air, it'd be pretty, pretty fun to watch. It is written by Juanita Bartlett and directed Yay. by Tony Warmby, 
who also directed Godfather Knows Best, uh, which is a couple movies previous. There's a quote in the Ed Robertson book um, that I wasn't really able to find any elaboration on. Just as David Chase energized the original Rockford at the beginning of the third season, the CBS movies got a second wind with the help of a writer and a director who were both established in television, but nonetheless new to the show. One new such addition who immediately put a stamp on Rockford was producer-director Tony Warmby, who at the time JAG was probably his big show. He also did um, work on The X-Files, who directed two of the final four movies produced for CBS. He really changed the look of the show, Gardner said in 1996, and it's just marvelous. (laughs) JAG? Is that old? (laughs) Uh, I was just going to bring up The X-Files because that's... uh... So, you know, watching these, I'm like, oh, yeah, these happened in the 80s, and then that's it. Like, that's not a, um, I'm sorry, these happened in the 90s. Conceptually, that's in my head, but I'm not thinking about other television it would be up against in the sure. 90s. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, yeah, X-Files would have been, like, huge at this point, because um, X-Files looks like 93. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking at JAG, 95. Wow, yeah. All right. For some reason, I thought JAG was like an early aughts thing. It was, I mean, it ran into the early aughts, but. Yeah, in fact, the the shows that it was up against on this Friday night in November uh, were, in fact, The X-Files for the first hour and Dateline NBC in the second. Yeah. I don't know why that's interesting to me. It's just (laughs) interesting to me uh, because I I was not at this point not watching these. I I didn't I don't think I saw any of these when they aired uh, any of the 90s ones. Well, I probably saw none of the original airings of any of the show. Right. But in syndication, I probably watched uh, a lot of the early Rockford Files, you know, in my dad hanging out in our basement. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, well, I think we can go ahead and get right into it. I, other than just seeing credits on IMDb, I don't really know much else about Tony Warmby. Just that quote jumped out to me when I was reviewing uh, the the Ed Robertson book on this one, and uh, I was like, "Huh, how about that?" Warmby is a is a fun <laughs> last name because it's got the H after the W. I don't know why, but I like that it's <laughs> it's like Harmby but with a W in front of it, so it's Warmby. Anyways, it's picking up dubs. Yeah, two hundred a day is a one hundred percent listener supported show. Thanks to our patrons, in addition to our gratitude and editing access to the two hundred files files spreadsheet. Patrons receive exclusive episode previews every month and plus expenses, our bonus podcast where we talk about media, work, and our lives. In addition, every episode, we say thank you to our gumshoe patrons. Brian Bernson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Facebook.com slash Brian Rockford Files. Chuck Sufel's one-shot comic Sherlock Holmes and the Wonderland Conundrum is available at whatyourreadingpress.com. Find Dale Norwood's book, Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, wherever good books are sold. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy, published by the University of Chicago Press. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Paul Townend also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling has all of your online dice rolling needs covered at his website, rollforyour.party. And check out Jay Adon's amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Thank you to Andrea Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Jampa Peach Pug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Dale Church, Colleen Kelly, David Nixon, and Jay Thompson. 
And finally, special appreciation for our Detective Little patrons. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, Brian Pereira, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, Bill Anderson, and of course, Richard Haddam. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Unfortunately, as always, there is no preview <laughs> montage. Uh, no. <laughs> so we will drop right into immediately placing it in its time. Yes. Soundtrack, which I describe. I was looking at my notes. I was like, why did I say? So I call it a thriller soundtrack, not Michael Jackson thriller, but no. thriller movie. Like this it's is kind of like a procedural ominous. ominous. It's kind of like a procedural I mean, this whole first section really does seem like you're coming into, like, CSI or something like that. Yeah, we're seeing um, helicopter shot, a drone shot of the skyline Mm -hmm. of L.A. Mm -hmm. Uh, My notes are like, oh, I'm I'm about to watch a diehard television show. That's what I'm (laughs) going to Something like that. Which does transition into some uh, sweet 90s uh, electronic dance music yes. <laughs> as we get down to the strip. Um, the music, the music is like I, the music's I, really good in this one. This is the music in this one is definitely a they should have sent a poet. Like I, <laughs> I cannot describe to you the music you must watch and enjoy yourself. But yeah, so we're kind of like on the strip. People are partying. We're seeing, mm-hmm. clearly we're seeing sex workers, sex workers doing yeah. their thing, um, cruisers doing their thing, etc. And then we come 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 down, and we focus on a again, obviously coded as a sex worker, uh, a blonde woman in you know skimpy outfit, etc., mm-hmm. leaning down to to talk to a man in the car. We focus literally because very soon we start getting the shutter sound black and white freeze photo effect to tell us that this whole thing is in fact getting photographed uh the ominousness uh continues so the scene that's being photographed here the two guys get out of the car and they seem to be having an argument with this woman yes uh, as they're moving about uh and the photographs are taking place so my question for you is Mm -hmm. in this moment in time do you think this is rockford taking these photos oh no. And here's why. I, because I've read the description of the episode, <laughs> Oh, okay. I know there's another PI involved. Ah, my, I should have read the description. My notes. No, were, you probably had a more pure experience not yeah. having read the description, honestly. <laughs> my, my notes say, uh, this can't be Rockford. It just doesn't seem like the a kind of thing where he wouldn't be getting involved. Intervening. Yeah. yeah. Like he would be intervening. And also it just, there's something because of the, the music's no longer ominous at this point, but there's just something creepy about this. There's something, yeah. uh, you know, that, that it's voyeuristic in a way that we don't yeah. really see Rockford ever being. Yeah. So, yeah, we see this. Uh, we see this whole encounter. They seem to grab. They, they grab her arm. She pulls away. She tries to go into like a, a storefront or something. They follow her. They come back out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we cut on a photo of the three of them like walking away from the street into the darkness. We cut from that whole introduction to police station, Jim talking to Dennis, no music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just we're like, oh, now we're now we're over here to Jim. <laughs> and and the, the star of the show, mm-hmm. Dennis's beard. 
Would you like to describe Dennis's beard? Uh, well, I would say it's a little scruffy. So Rockford makes a comment about it. Rockford and Dennis are arguing over, uh, oh, basically, and M watched this with me and she pointed this out. So I got to give credit to her. Uh, Rockford is playing the role of Rocky and Dennis is playing <laughs> the role of Jim. And uh-huh. they're arguing about going fishing. Uh-huh, that's, that's, that's what's happening here. Uh, Jim wants to go to, take Dennis to Cabo. Dennis has already started on his beard, which is against regulations, and it will persist throughout this whole episode. So <laughs> look, he look, he says that he has a rash, and if he scratches or no, if he shaves, it gets worse. I believe yes. is his excuse for <laughs> for the beard. Uh, yeah, no other reason given. I will say that unfortunately, since the last time I have tried to look up something about Joe Santos, mm-hmm. the existence of George Santos has really. Oh, complicated the SEO. That's so, <laughs> that's so bad. Uh, Perhaps the worst crime to to put yes. this man's feet. <laughs> so I was not able to find out. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, they you know got a surgery and so they kept the cast on during film. Like that happened yeah. with Joe Santos, where he like had a broken arm or something, and they just yeah like, yeah there was something, and they like had an explanation on camera for why he or no he had a, the tape on his, his nose because he had the nose yeah. like surgery or something. Anyway. In this case, no. He just gets to have a fun, real scruffy beard. Was that the last, the previous movie? That might have been the previous movie. I think movie. it was in previous movie. Are they mm. just changing Joe Santos every movie? <laughs> like, this time I got a beard. Well, I'm looking forward to the next one. Mm-hmm. I'll see what happens then. It's going to be in a full body cast or something. <laughs> I hope I, I hope that is no. not the case. Oh, no, I hope not, yeah. Um. Yeah, so Jim wants Dennis to come to Cabo and fish. Dennis... Uh, you know, he has, he's so busy. There's so much mm-hmm. going on. He can't possibly leave now. And he says, I just went with you. And Jim's like, oh, yeah, it was just like it was yesterday. 1987. <laughs> yeah, I do love the little notes of like stuff that's happened between the end of the show. Like, you know, stuff mm-hmm. that happened in the 80s is always kind of fun. Little little mentions. Um, Jim asked Dennis, is he, is he waiting for there to be a slack time for crime? Because that's never going to happen, <laughs> which is that's true. Mm-hmm. This whole conversation is ended by overhearing a woman yelling that she wants to make a complaint. And we go and we see that it is, in fact, the woman that we were seeing having her pictures taken of, which is a bit of a relief because some of the tone of that whole intro was like, she going to get murdered? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was a very murdery feel to it. Uh, the, the desk sergeant is very patiently telling her that this is robbery, homicide, and she wants vice. She's in the wrong place. And mm-hmm. she was saying that if she goes to Vice, it's going to get buried. No one's ever going to hear it. And she doesn't want to talk to anyone lower than a lieutenant. We see Jim being very amused by some of her turns of phrase uh, to the sergeant. She's like, OK, if you're not going to let me talk to anyone, I'll take what I have in my envelope here to the press. And you'll be the one who aired the department's dirty laundry. And so this is when Dennis steps in, says that he's a lieutenant and, uh, you know, he'll he'll talk to her. If I if I might offer something that. Should have probably come up in plus expenses. Uh-huh. I just have to tell you, last night we watched um, a thriller, a movie, like you were just saying, like a, a, the mm-hmm. ominous tone and all that. Uh, and it was getting to like the climax of the movie. There's some killers coming and you know they're coming and this guy is trying to find a way to like stay away from them or whatever. And uh, we're sitting on our couch, which is in our living room. There's a small little wall. And on the other side of this wall is the hallway with our front door. Mm-hmm. This is like nine, 10 o'clock at night. 
and we hear something that sounds like someone at the door and then the door opens and all of these papers come flying like through the hallway. I jump up. I'm like, hello, hello. So here's the thing. If we don't lock our front door, occasionally the wind will blow it open. But we have, um, you know, those draft dodgers, the mm-hmm. little like you put at the bottom of the door. Those were at the bottom of the door. So what was happening was the wind had blown it out of its latch and then it was like, but it hadn't blown all the way open. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like somebody was rattling the doorknob or, and and then it opened <laughs> and uh, freaked us out. We were yeah. like, we're being home invaded. What's happening? <laughs> Anyways, um, we have that kind of wind going on right now ah. and <laughs> I, I, and snow's coming down right now. So yeah, in the middle of a snowstorm. Now here it's just extremely cold. Yeah. We had a slight powdering of snow, which Simone was very excited about. Hey. It's already gone. Yeah. Uh, that all said. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. So this woman's name is Val. We've eventually heard now, learned. Dennis uh, brings Val into his office to get her story. She says that uh, these two guys, the two guys that we saw, they're detectives from Vice. And as she says, we're all in Vice. I just work it from the other side, which yes. is a good turn of phrase. <laughs> that is great. But these two guys won't leave her alone. Sometimes she has to give give away what she's selling for free. That's just the cost of doing business. But they're telling her, do me or do time, threatening her with finding crack in her apartment. And mm-hmm. you know, she's like, I've never done crack in my life. Uh, you know, they're they're threatening me. And so she had a friend take these pictures so that she has proof. Mm-hmm. So Becker doesn't say anything, but we see shots of his face. And my note is dubious. Becker is dubious. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jim kind of pokes his head in. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he has a, l- a little one-liner. I want to uh, I want to charge him with a... Uh, um, Restraint of trade? What are you doing here? This is official business. Dennis kicks him out. And she she settles on, I want to charge them with sep- sexual harassment. I want to press charges. So we go from that to our standard 90s movie opening credits. Yes. Uh, of our 90s rocking guitar and synth theme, which I think has been standard <laughs> for the last couple of movies, uh, with helicopter shots over Paradise Cove, watching Jim drive home in Rocky's truck. Oh. Sorry. I know I keep giving you an update on this storm, but it went from like, it's a little windy out and there's like a little bit of snow coming down. The snow is now completely horizontal and I can barely see the tree across the street. So yeah, we're in it now. We'll see if you make it through this whole recording. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I think here is where I want to bring up my main concern with this episode. Yes. Which is that for some reason, more so than most movies and most episodes of the show, this one feels like it has some real propaganda going on. Right. So, um, I, same thing, right? Like, for maybe the first half of this show, you're wondering if they're going to actually address... Becker is so non-committal there that yeah. you can kind of see it going either way. Like, yeah. yes, we'll address your complaint, or or he says, yes, we'll address your complaint, and then it just he just buries it himself because he's like, this mm-hmm. isn't going to go anywhere. Uh, he has a something, again, Joe Santos doing great work. There's something about his dubious look when she's showing him the photos where he's kind of like, mm-hmm. these photos don't mean anything. Yeah. If he was talking to Jim, he could be like, this is circumstantial. Like, 
Right, right. You, you know, this, these yeah. pictures don't actually prove anything. You don't have evidence. Here, you don't yeah. have evidence. While well, she's saying, I have hard evidence, right? So there's mm-hmm. this dissonance and you're like, is he just going to bury this? We'll find out later. But um, yeah. And, and then it's like dirty cop, like, you know, this whole. So it's introducing yeah. this dirty cop. I was going to say storyline, which it is, but like um, uh, trope, like this dirty cop yeah. storytelling piece of like the guys from Vice, you know, g- getting what they can for free, et cetera. You know, we'll get to it when we get to it. But um, there's this whole thing that's going to come out with Jim versus the cops. Mm-hmm. And it could have played out one way. And the way it plays out is a little, I agree. Like, it's it's a little disappointing. Like, it's not like, yeah. there's no reason for to say that this is a, a horrible episode or anything like that. But like, Jim's thing is like to keep telling the cops, I'm not guilty of this thing Okay, I'm not going to dance around. Like, Jim, the cops are going to start thinking Jim's investigating them, and they're going to start harassing him over it. And his way of fighting that is not necessarily you shouldn't be harassing someone for this. Mm-hmm. It's you shouldn't be harassing me because I'm not investigating you, and that I don't care for because mm-hmm. it would have been good Jim business, right? To like stand up for the principal. Yeah, stand up for the principal, and yeah. instead it's a little like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. We'll we'll talk more about it as we get to because there's more of this element in here. But I just want to say this is where I first started having that like, mm, let's see where this mm-hmm. goes. Uh, but we are going to take a nice break from the cops for a while because we have Jim coming home from his solo trip to Cabo, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And he is immediately confronted as he gets home by a guy in a hat. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is Harvey or Harv, mm-hmm. um, who... Is played by a real that guy. Yeah. Um, Conrad Janice, who was apparently Mindy's father on Mork and Mindy. Uh, oh, but, okay. But in just like a million things. <laughs> I I have a theory about this character, <laughs> uh, which I'll bring up now because I won't remember it later. Uh, may, and we can think about it as it's happening. Harvey, mm-hmm. also the name of the invisible imaginary rabbit from the Jimmy Stewart film of the same name, Harvey. Does Harvey interact with any other human beings but Jim? My question is, is Harvey real? Ah, okay. So as we go through this, let's just think about it. I think so. I mean, like, obviously he's real. This isn't the kind of thing that the (laughs) Rockford Files would do. But can you read him as Jim's (laughs) imaginary friend? It's certainly possible. Let's, all right. There's one moment I think that lends some credence to that. But yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. So... Uh, Harv was was left, I guess, kind of to mind Jim's place while he was gone. Yeah. However, Jim forgot to leave him a key. Jim also <laughs> left his phone ringer turned up really loud while he was loading his truck and never turned it down. <laughs> so Harv has been hearing Jim's phone ringing the entire time that he's been gone. Yes. So Jim apologizes, says he'll make it up to him with lunch. Anything you want from the left side of the menu. <laughs> They'll meet at the Sandcastle at one. Um, and... You know, begs off with that as he goes inside to answer the phone right as it goes to his answering machine. It is uh, a woman named Letty, who Jim obviously knows Mm -hmm. who that is. Uh, She's very upset and she tells Jim he wants to see you. Yes. We we go with Jim to a nice little house uh, where we see him get some stink eye from a neighbor. It's a lot of good side eye and stink eye in this episode from various characters. Mm -hmm. Well, he knocks. Letty lets him in, says he's waiting for you. So we are now going to get introduced to one of the the grand universe of PI buddies of Jim. Yes. 
<laughs> uh, played by John Amos, who it's one of those one of those guys where I'm like, I should know why I know his name, but I don't actually know like what he in, he was in the West Wing, which is where I like kind of recognize him from. But he was, you know, obviously has had a long career before that. I don't know if there's anything in particular I should I should actually know him from that's uh, not the West Wing. Good times. Yeah, no, he goes way back. Uh, yeah, there's a ton of things. Like, he's definitely, you know, that guy, but also he's uh, that guy whose name I remember. So right. I don't know, you know, like, yeah, I'm looking through his, his list here. I mean, the big one is is good times. He was in 66, 61 mm-hmm. episodes. Of that. So he, I think he was like the dad in that one. But, mm-hmm. uh, oh, you know what? He was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. That's, wow. I, I'm almost certain. I think he was. I think I noticed that when I was looking yeah, at yeah. it. He played the uh, weather guy, I think, on the Mary mm. Tyler Moore show. He's great on that. I mean, everyone was great on that. But uh, um, anyways. Yeah, he's really yeah. fun. So he's a PI named Booker, Booker Hutch. Yes. And he is in bed. Apparently, he has been stricken with some kind of quick onset debilitating illness. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know how, how much longer he has. Uh, Letty, his wife, lets Jim in. Uh, she's crying. Um, he's saying there's nothing anyone can do one day. He's walking around and the next he's in bed and getting spoon fed like a two year old. (laughs) Jim is clearly shocked and upset to see Mm -hmm. his, his, his friend in this condition, uh, and sits at his bedside and he has Jim get him a folder, hands in an envelope. It's the $400 that Jim lent him back in 95. <laughs> Jim gets $400 back. Like this is as his accountant. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy for that. I mean, it was two years late. He tries to reject it, but uh, Booker says that what he needs is the, to get clean of his past dues. That's mm-hmm. what he needs. So he tells him, makes him keep it. And he says he has four or five cases. He never got a chance to tie up. Hey, you know what fries me? I've already done most of the work. Now somebody else is going to collect. Hey, I could recommend you if if, if your plate's not already too full. Well, I got nothing on my plate. I, I've been on vacation. And he has this look where he like looks at Jim like, you're going to buy this? Like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is a con. This is definitely a con. I think it's very well done because you're not entirely sure watching it that jim's being conned like you know there's going to be fallout from this yeah uh maybe even you know more if you've read the (laughs) the episode description yeah the episode description like it just it feels very much like oh okay jim's gonna take these cases and something's gonna happen because of that but i as i was watching it in my head i was like it just feels almost legit enough right Mm -hmm. like oh he is trying to clean his slate he is trying to have no but like is he like i don't know but is it because he's actually like dying or is there like a different reason yeah right like there may be a different reason i fall for it for the same reason jim does though like it's letty yeah exactly that's the thing yeah his 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 wife is so upset and jim clearly was already primed to see something that was not good because of how letty was acting Mm -hmm. he in fact says my condition for keeping this four hundred dollars is that you let me wrap up your cases but you take the payouts yeah and he says if you do that jim i'll remember until the day i die (laughs) 
Jim does give him a double take on that. So that's good. I'm kind of like, is Jim is Jim buying all this? Like, I think he is. Mm -hmm. And in a way where I'm like, Jim, come on. You, you know, (laughs) you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be buying this stuff. But again, I have the benefit of the episode description, um, which which does, in fact, say Jim is conned by an old P.I. buddy into taking (laughs) a case he shouldn't take. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, this character, Booker Hutch, played by John Amos, I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear that this was, in fact, originally written with the idea of bringing Isaac Hayes back yes. to yeah. to be Gandhi and do this story, but with Gandhi. But unfortunately, he wasn't available for shooting, I believe, at that time. First of all, he was doing South Park, so that was oh, yeah. a big commitment. <laughs> 1997 was a hell of a time. Yes. Uh, there's a quote here from Chas Floyd Johnson, the you know the producer, that once the movie got greenlit, they weren't able to make it work with Isaac's schedule. And it was a quote, we had a three-week shooting schedule of our own to meet. That's wild yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so rather than recast Gandhi, they rewrote the role into this one, Booker Hutch, who uh, does, you know, look a little bit like Isaac Hayes. Like, yeah. I mean, his frame is about is similar. I definitely thought he was a Gandhi stand-in, but I mm. like the character in a of his own yeah yeah it was differentiable enough well there's yeah. a then there's a line here that he's closer in spirit to marcus hayes to to gabby yeah yeah this is kind of a two great tastes that tastes great together yes. character <laughs> where it's like yeah he has some gandyish stuff and but he's also kind of has that fast talking mm-hmm. at slick attitude that i think works for this story because as it was going i was like Gandhi would be kind of a weird fit for some of this plot. Like, obviously, they rewrote it, but, yeah. you know, it probably would have been different with Gandhi. But, um, yeah, I was anticipating it being kind of weird. And I was like, no, this is good. Like, this this, this works. Anyway, so fun character. We're not going to see him for a while <laughs> yeah. uh, because we have some other things to do. To wit, uh, Jim goes to find Dennis. He wants to talk to Dennis. He finds him at a bar. There's apparently this one bar that's like a cop hangout. It's called the Arsenal, which is a little... Yeah, not ominous, but a little on the nose. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, on the nose. Jim wants to talk. Dennis is in a bad mood. They have some banter about that. Jim wants to talk because he wants to process what he's just seen. His friend suddenly being hit out of nowhere with his terminal illness. He doesn't really know how to deal with it. Um, Dennis... uh, Gets a burger, <laughs> sits down, does not have a chance to eat it. He does eventually ask, is this anybody I know? This friend of yours, somebody I know? Yeah, sure, Booker Hutch. The book man from C-Block, remember? The hell's the matter with you hanging out with a bum like that? He's not a bum. He's a bum, ex-con. So am I. <laughs> yes. So this this is where I was like, oh, this, this is probably Gandhi, the hammer of C-Block. We don't get all the reasons that Dennis is in such a bad mood because he doesn't really mm-hmm. want to talk to Jim. But one of them is that he's been dodging this uh, talking to uh, this woman who pops up to talk to him. Uh, her name is Bree, Brianne. She she interrupts their conversation. She's like, oh, I finally tracked you down. I want to talk to you. And he's like, well, I have to leave. I'm going back to the station now and I have meetings all mm-hmm. afternoon. Call me tomorrow. And he just leaves, yeah. leaving his burger uneaten. Jim just quietly slides it over to his side of the table. So good. So good. <laughs> um, and talks to this woman, Bree. Do you work with Dennis? Uh, why do you think that? Well, he doesn't have a lot of friends who aren't cops. 
<laughs> and this is kind of a cop hangout. And she says, well, it's also a great burger joint. So Jim offers to buy her burger. She accepts. So to keep track, Jim is now buying exactly one hamburger because he's taking mm-hmm. Dennis's. Yes. And she says, if you need someone to talk to, I'm a great listener. And Jim has a warm smile uh, once he hears that. She, I think she says, and I've already started. She'd overheard part of their conversation. Yeah. You know, et cetera. So here's a moment where I'm like, okay, th- there's an age difference here. Is she hitting on Jim? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer is probably yes, but not for the reasons that I'm right. I'm thinking. Like I I'm not savvy enough to know what's really going on in this scene. Well, we've had no we have no information to know what's going on here. Yeah, Dennis seems more perturbed than Dennis, right? Like there's like Dennis always has something bothering him, right? But in this scene, he seems over the top bothered, right, and right. we don't know yet what that is all about. Yeah. We go from here back to the trailer. Jim is returning in the Firebird. Harv mm-hmm. is there. Jim forgot about lunch. He's like, you know, <laughs> sorry, something came up. And Harv's like, it's okay. I got the lobster. <laughs> Was that on the left side of the bed, you Harv? I don't know. <laughs> and he gives he gives Jim the receipt and Jim gives yes. him cash, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but Jim explains he had a good reason not to be there. And let's make it up tomorrow. And mm-hmm. we have a gag where Harv's like, okay, are you, are you sure you can make it? He's like, I'm mm-hmm. sure I can make it. <laughs> we know he's not going to make it. Next day, we know it's the next day because we see it's 9.17 a.m. on Jim's digital clock. Yes. As we hear his tires screeching outside. And as I say in my notes, a wild angel appears <laughs> yes. in essentially a clown car. <laughs> I was trying to remember if we've seen angel in this car before. I feel like maybe... It reminds me so much of Columbo's car. But it's smaller. It's shorter, like a stubbier. Is Columbo's car convertible? Yes. I don't. It is. Okay. It's almost always with the hood up. But yeah, it is convertible. Yeah. This one, this one has the top down or maybe is missing the top. I think it's missing the top. Columbo's car is in better condition than this one. And that's saying something about this car. So this episode is good looks for Angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he always has good looks. It's been a long running thing. He just he's just so himself that he always like looks pretty good. But these so good these ensembles mm, so good. The camel suit with the brown driving gloves and yeah. the little sunglasses with his hair pulled back. Uh, yeah, and like big lapels. It, can I? Okay, I know I keep I, I know I keep interrupting this with things that should be in plus expenses, but another thing we've seen since last we talked was Future World. That's the sequel to Westworld, the movie from the seventies. Um, and I'm just going to recommend it, not because of it being like a great film or anything like that, but Stuart Margolin's in it. He has a good role, and he is so very much Angel in Future World. That's all I'm going to give you. Good to know. About now is when some contractors <laughs> came by to do something right outside where I record. So if there are additional noises through the rest of this episode, <laughs> I'm doing my best to keep those under control. Hopefully they're construction contractors and not mafia contractors. Yes. Well, I mean, as far as I know. Anyway, Angel looks great. Um, yeah. So the things that Angel says, I cannot believe are scripted because they're so... Yeah, lightning quick. And so angel. quick. Yeah. yeah flying by but you still get just enough to know that it's really funny i i don't know he's a true master of his craft but the 
the long and short of this is a real watch this scene this this episode is a pretty good like just watch the episode like there's yeah, a yeah. lot of stuff in it that's like good dialogue good delivery you know um kind of stuff that we're not really going to get into the details of but the broad strokes here are that as we will learn by the end of this scene Bree turns out to be a reporter and she has a column in mm-hmm. a local paper and she wrote a story based on her conversation with Jim. What movie? The movie I'm going to sell based on your life, you and Book. A friendship forged in the grim confines of prison, spanning more than 20 years. Blah, 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 blah. Story of loyalty and compassion. Oh, let me see that. <laughs> you know, if I hadn't racked Sikorsky's paper this morning, I'd have missed the whole story. Then where'd you be? He's on a tight schedule. He doesn't even have time for a cup of joe. And Jim says... Uh, good, because I'm not offering you one. Yeah. <laughs> but he's been in touch with all the major film studios. By the end of the day, someone's going to option the project. Angel then goes back out to his car and jumps in, talking a mile a minute. I know you, man. I've seen you let Opportunity boogie on by more than once. Well, I'm not catching no L train. Uh, you just chill. I'll bring in the grip. <laughs> oh, it's very good. <laughs> the... Only other exchange in this that I just want to highlight is this moment where Angel goes, I trust you, you trust me. And Jim just says, when did that happen? <laughs> so good. But yeah, it's definitely a watch it scene. There's yeah. Lots of good Angel stuff. Partway through this, I was like, is this business that they're just giving Angel to do? Or is it like, is it going to kind of collide with the story? And it's it's a little bit of both, really. It's it, But yeah, this is good. There's a good scene where like all the things we've been watching do come together, but it's not yeah. really because the plot demands it. It's more because it's at a it's a nice narrative beat. Yeah, uh, which is fine, which is all it needs. But uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So Jim and Dennis back at the station. They are both mad. Dennis is mad because <laughs> Jim didn't tell Dennis that he's taking over Booker's cases. And Jim is mad because Dennis didn't tell Jim that Bree was a reporter. <laughs> we then have a Fabulous Jack Garner appearance. Uh, Captain McEnroe in his uh, <laughs> his role in these movies, who I think we saw briefly in the last movie right at the end. He has a couple good bits here, mm-hmm. but he wants to talk to Becker. So Jim is getting very pointed, funny looks from like everyone, like in the background, mm-hmm. all the cops walking by him. And you, at first it's kind of like, I guess just because he, he and Becker, they're like yelling at each other in the middle of the station. So there's that. Yeah. Sally drives it home, though. Sally drives it home. (laughs) So I didn't take notes about Sally because Sally is kind of... It's a gag. A gag and has been a running gag through multiple movies. I double-checked. Oh, really? Her credit is in the last four movies. So, like, she's... Wow. I I remember her (laughs) vaguely. Yeah. Sally is this uh, elderly woman who's always at the station because she's always there to confess to something. Oh, right. Yeah. She has some, like mental condition where like like she always wants to give turn herself in for stuff or whatever they're looking for at the moment and so she's kind of like a mascot Mm -hmm. she's always there and everyone is nice to her and she's she's always knitting so in this episode or in this movie she keeps on walking up behind becker and measuring him yes (laughs) but anyway it's a bit and i was like "Eh, i didn't really take any notes about it uh, there's a button on Sally later. Uh, yeah, that I was gonna talk about her then, but yes, uh, Sally does say something like "I'm disappointed in you." I think, or like "We're all very disappointed in you," yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah, and we obviously don't know why yet. Yeah. So uh, the captain tells Becker that if if Rockford is there officially, Commander Gage wants to handle it, <laughs> but if it's social, get him the hell out of here. 
<laughs> so Becker goes back to Jim. Why are you so mad at me? Becker goes off. You think I get a pass because I'm your friend, but every other cop you have contempt for. <laughs> and starts talking about Hollis and Lopez. There's been no complaints on them. They have nothing but commendations. Jim does not know what he's talking about. <laughs> Hollis and Lopez were mentioned. Like, they're the, they're the yeah. officers that the uh, Val had the complaint for, right? Yeah, the two in the photographs. Yeah, the two vice from cops. the beginning. As a viewer, I'm like, oh, so these are starting to collide here. Yeah. This must be, be one of Booker's cases. Perhaps he was the one taking those pictures. But Jim has no idea because he hasn't even had time to go through the files. Uh, he told Booker to take his cases, but he hasn't even, like, looked at them yet. Becker says, find the time. So before Internal Affairs had a chance to investigate the complaint, the story was in all the papers. And now there's a citizens committee that's been formed that's also investigating these two officers. And so the citizens committee investigation was one of Booker's cases. Uh. So it's a little unclear. So I guess he didn't take those pictures. It's a little unclear until later in the movie. But like Booker was working theoretically, for the Citizens Committee. Yes. So, th so the pictures were taken before that. They were just part of what happened before that. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it, it would have to be. Yeah, he couldn't have been involved in the uh, the picture taken because then he would know what's up. Right, right, yeah. But, yeah, so the point is, since Jim's taking his cases, now he's taking the Citizens Committee investigation case. So every cop in the department figures out figures you're out to nail two of L.A.'s finest. Dennis says this off the record. I keep a real low profile if I were you. <laughs> Jim, of course, needs to get some clarity here. He goes back to Booker's place. And the neighbor, who gave him the stink eye last time, says that they're gone. He's gone. He went this morning. And we have a gag here where Jim thinks that she's talking about him dying. Yes. But what she's actually talking about is they moved. I think he says, is there going to be any service? And she says, what, like an open house? <laughs> Are you saying they moved? Yes, they moved. What have we been talking about? But she specifically says Letty was crying all week and Jim mm -hmm. knows how she feels. So we go to Booker and Letty in a car, pulling into a motel, a bunch of stuff strapped up on top of it. Letty is upset. Booker sent Jim into a mess and didn't even warn him. Booker says, like, they, they, whoever they are, mm -hmm. damn near killed him, killed Booker. If he stayed in, he'd be hurt or arrested or both, and Jim can take care of himself. He can talk himself out of damn near anything. Mm -hmm. Joking the cut here to Jim getting pulled over. <laughs> and the first of multiple instances of uh, police harassment. The joke here is very well crafted. Like, yeah. the pacing is great. You know exactly what's going to happen right before it happens. So it's, yeah. very, it's very satisfying to see it happen. It's very funny. But yeah, Jim gets pulled over. Why did you pull me over? Your front wheels were in the crosswalk. It's a moving violation. How was it a moving violation if it wasn't moving? It's like, can I see your license? Why do you need to see my license? What are you charging me with? I'm not on the case, sir. I am not working for the Citizens Committee, and I'm not investigating Hollis and Lopez. This case that you're not working on, do you think it has something to do with why you're being cited? It's a very serious charge, Mr. Rockford. You were stopped for a violation of the motor vehicle code. I don't know who you are, the nature of your business. You just you addressed me as Mr. Rockford. It's on your driver's license. Which I haven't shown you yet. <laughs> I can't wait to see how you guys play this one. Cut to Jim at the station getting bailed out by Harv. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess Harv 
if Harv is imaginary, yeah, I guess he has to exist. Um, Harv is the life that Jim wants to be leading right now, just, <laughs> which just is a fishing having bum. lunch by himself at <laughs> yeah. the sandcastle. How do you know where to find me? Well, I knew where you'd be because I didn't show up to lunch. Yes, but this time he had the prime rib, and Jim goes for mm. lunch. <laughs> We're really missing Beth and Coop right now. I'm mm. just saying mm-hmm. you could really use one or the other of these yeah. two. I mean, I like Harv. At first, I thought he was going to be an angel, right? Right. But he yeah. turns out to be like a coop, like more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like throughout this episode, I keep waiting for Harv to like get dollar signs in his eyes or something like mm-hmm. that. But no. Or like sell Jim out for something by accident yeah. or because he's bitter about being stood up for lunch or something. Yeah. But he turns out he's just a he's just a, a buddy. And we actually it looks like we see their friendship happen. Over the mm-hmm. course of this movie, which might be one of the best parts. He's carrying a fishing pole when we first see him. And I, I just my assumption is that he, he and Harv probably fish off that pier from time to time. Yeah. And Jim, like, asked him to watch the thing. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's it's they're becoming close. He's close enough to be like, hey, can you keep an eye on my place? Because I know you'll be here, but not close enough to have a key. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, so he gets he gets hard hard like it's a good thing I had enough money on me, which is always good. Um, all right. This becomes a very chaotic scene, uh, with a lot of cross talking and everyone being mad about something and then finally getting to where we find out what's going on. Becker and Bree come storing through. Jim, you know, wants to talk to Becker and wants to talk to Bree, so he gloms onto them. Becker has no comment to Bree. Bree wants to talk to Jim. Jim's been in in jail because of her column and wants to talk Mm -hmm. to Becker. We then finally meet this aforementioned Commander Gage, who yells, Rockford, what the hell are you doing here? (laughs) I actually think this would be a Lieutenant Deal kind of uh, role. Uh, So we're missing uh, Tom, Tom Atkins a little bit here. I mean, this guy is, this is fine. Like Commander Gage is fine. Um, yeah. Uh, but in terms of, if we're going to talk about missing characters, uh, not really a great Chapman role, but a good deal uh, yeah. role for, for this story. Gage is played by, uh, I'm not going to be able to do his last name, Dan Lorena, Loria? Loria. Loria. Let's say Dan Loria. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the dad from Wonder Years, if you remember the Wonder Years. This is like one of those people that was born looking like. <laughs> looking like a dad. Yeah, looking like a dad, looking like disappointed in you. That's yeah. all. He's, he he's looks very, he does a very good, I'm disappointed in you, Rockford, yeah. uh, which is different from uh, I, I, I loathe you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and also, as we kind of learned, he doesn't really know Rock. Like, he kind of knows of Rockford, but it seems yeah. like they haven't actually really, like, been in each other's uh, orbit before. So Becker tries to like downplay it and explain and Jim just waves him off with this great like talk to the hand like motion as he walks away. I am here to file a complaint. Gage is about to blow a stack and then Becker introduces Bree, the reporter. Mm -hmm. He like bites his lip, like, you know, swallows (laughs) what he was going to say. And he like puts his hand over her tape recorder to turn it off. And then as Jim starts talking, she comes in and turns it on again to get his comments, which is pretty funny. Gage says he'll look into what happened to Jim. I'm sure we can come to a mutually agreeable resolution of this conflict or something, (laughs) right? Like very like politic. Um, Jim wants Bree to print a retraction of her story. He is not Mm -hmm. on the case. And he gives a quote. You can quote me on this about Booker being a self-serving scam artist. (laughs) We go outside uh, Harvey. So Harvey was kind of on the periphery of this whole thing. He goes outside with Harvey. 
Jim, uh, and he's like, how much trouble are you in? And Jim <laughs> goes down the line of all the things that he is currently in trouble for and ends with, I can't wait to see what lands on me next. <laughs> Just another good joke in the cut here to a strip club. Uh, <laughs> our plot thickens. We're cutting to a, a chicken or the egg situation. Like, is this mm-hmm. a strip club in a Chinese restaurant or a Chinese <laughs> restaurant in a strip club? I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. But it's it's some combination as, of the as two. As we learn, this is the Gold Pagoda. Yeah. So if we were watching a movie that had the original working title of Shootout mm-hmm. at the Gold Pagoda. Yes. Then we would uh, be primed for this. But unfortunately, yeah, we'd be like, oh, this this is going to matter. This place is going to matter. There is a hell of a group of goons here. Goons yes. and suits uh, all surrounding a guy with this wild, fully upright gray hair wearing this green and gold robe. And he just has all these plates of little treats. He's just eating little treats uh, through this whole this whole <laughs> thing. He has read an article about the Citizens Committee still investigating the vice cops. Uh, and he's like, you keep stirring. He wants the results to be that they're dirty cops. So this we will learn eventually. I don't think it's a mm-hmm. huge spoiler. Uh, we will learn eventually that this is Buddha. Yes. And Buddha has a main goon, little Cicero, who, again, is played by uh, that guy, uh, Marco Rodriguez, who has been in all the things. But I yes. probably <laughs> recognized him because he was he was like a main goon for one of the one of the gang bosses in the crow. Uh, so I probably recognized him from that because yes, <laughs> I've probably seen the crow almost as much as I've seen uh, the fifth element. But yeah, he's been in one episode of every show. Speaking of 90s soundtracks, <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the 90s soundtrack. Yeah, if you ask me anyway, uh, here he is. Little Cicero Buddha. Asks him about this shoe. Uh, Buddha has lots of weird slang. It's kind of like yeah. slang, but it sounds out of place to me. Like it does sound like it's not even from the 70s. Like it sounds like it's from the 50s. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Rockford, the cops are doing nothing but hassling him. So Buddha doesn't want Jim getting close to that hoochie. If he gets too close, do him like Booker Hutch, but permanent. So, okay. Not to get too deep into all this, but uh, this character probably problematic like i'm just gonna just put that out. i there. didn't like, realize that this character was problematic until the final scene <laughs> yeah yeah like uh, there's well there's like six or seven reasons why this might be like there's going to be sure. some fat phobic stuff going on here uh which is near the final scene or something like i think at some point they say that he's an albino yeah when jim tries to find him yeah he's referred to as the albino and like I don't think he's an albino. <laughs> no, I don't think he is. And I think he's supposed to be a non-Caucasian albino. And that they're just having like a Caucasian playing. I don't know. I, like, Yeah, I don't know about that part. I do know. I didn't realize that he was supposed to be like there is a fat phobic joke about him. I didn't yeah. realize he was supposed to be fat. Like, I just yeah. thought he was just in a big robe. Yeah, he was just sitting down in a robe. Like, that's it. Yeah. That feels very of its time of like, oh. This person who's slightly larger than normal in a row. Yeah. Obviously, he's the fat guy. And I'm like, I don't think he's fat. Yeah. Anyway, um, he's not great. Like, also, no. like, his delivery. Of all the things in this episode that are really fun, the idea of this character is fun. But this particular mm-hmm. casting doesn't really work for me. He just he, he, he doesn't seem committed to the character. <laughs> he, he really yeah. feels like he's reading lines, uh, I guess, is all I'm 
is what I got out of it. We have been privy to many, many great mob leaders in the Rockford Files, and this guy's not in that running. That's all. But we pretty much, I mean, we want to see him a couple times. Uh, yeah, he's not, he's not all over the episode. But this does give us as, you know, watching like, okay, so there's something going on that's more complex mm-hmm. than Dirty Cops. Yeah. There's, there's kind of, some kind of, of uh, plan that is being enacted. Yeah. And it's putting Jim in danger. Yeah. I think this becomes explicit a little bit later on, but this also does part of what we were talking about earlier, where... We we got from Booker that um, he was beaten within an inch of his life or something like that. The they there, is, the cops did not do that. It was right, right. Buddha's it's, people. Yeah, right? it's like, the goons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get our, our ominous note of danger here, and then we go back to Harv and Jim on the beach, I believe, mm-hmm. I believe with uh, fishing poles again. Yeah, L- living their good life. Uh, let's see how the day shapes up before making another lunch date. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) it's good because Angel appears again. He's talking on his cell phone while driving this clearly not very mechanically sound car directly into the no parking sign outside the restaurant and getting it stuck in the sand. Uh, And we have a great, great Rockford line. When Angel Martin starts your day, there's only one word for it. Ominous. <laughs> it is good. It is very good. Um, again, so much good banter here with Angel about how how good things are looking for the motion picture project. <laughs> Jim finally says he has no interest in his life being a movie story, even if Clint Eastwood plays you. He goes Clint, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he does finally tell Angel that he's not taking Booker's cases. Angel, that's the whole reason detra of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, reason detra. You're dumping a friendship forged in the grim confines of prison. Consider it dumped. Compassion, Clint Eastwood. Nobody dumped Clint Eastwood. Considering the fact that you invented his interest, I am certain that you can invent an apology for me. Uh, a little while later, we get like a list of other celeb celebrities that uh, are theoretically interested in Angel's head that they're interested in the role. Uh, and I find it, I, I was. I was both hoping for and dreading that James Gardner would be on the on the list. I don't know why I really don't want that kind of fourth wall breaking, yeah. you know, Rockford Files. Uh, mm-hmm. But then again, if they had done it, I would have laughed and forgiven them right away. So right, it was just right. that, you know. It probably would have been like a, maybe James Gardner. And they'd be like, oh, Jim, James Gardner is too, too old for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, or he's still acting, you know, like it would yeah. be something like that. <laughs> Not with his bad knees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, Jim tells Angel he was promised a retraction and he's going to make sure he gets it. Part of the bit with Angel is he's always bringing the newspaper because it's like first thing in the morning or mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but he's been bringing the newspapers with him because that's where he's getting all this all his ideas. So Jim is taking his newspaper to look for the retraction. Uh, we then follow him back to the cop bar, still getting lots of stink eye, giving us idea that perhaps there has been no retraction. <laughs> Bree is there. Uh, for some reason, uh, her paper said that's where she was going to be. So that's how Jim found her. He read her column four times and still hasn't found the retraction. <laughs> she says something about how her writing is subtle. It's like, your subtlety must be too much for me. There's a whole line. Mr. Rockford declines all praise for his selfless and devoted efforts on behalf <laughs> of his friend. Now, Jim, of course, does not consider this a retraction. He 
throws down all these minor traffic tickets he's been receiving and tells her to pay him out of her expense re- account because that's <laughs> she, he's only getting them because of her. Going 17 in a 15-mile-per-hour zone, I didn't even know radar guns could go that low. <laughs> are you charging police harassment? He's like, no. He's like, what do you, you say? He's looking around. He's like, they're right here. Yeah, yeah. This lends a whole new dimension to the story. How many tickets? And he starts taking them back. Ah, I'll pay them. Because he doesn't want the story to continue. As she says, he has no narrative sense at all. All he wants is for her to print a real retraction, say that he's not working for the committee. He's not trying to sink the police. The only thing I'm working on is trying to find Booker Hutch so I can beat him to his knees. She says she'll print a retraction tomorrow. He says, fine, today would be better, but he can lay low for another 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So Jim to traffic school, where he has been remanded for one of these minor (laughs) cases. His car gets bumped from behind by some kid driving a car, like a, you know, I don't know, Mm 17-year-old or something. The cops are immediately there, and this is clearly staged. Yes. (laughs) The kid's saying, he backed into me. And Jim's like, I'm clearly not at fault here. You hit me from behind. And the cop's like, you'll both have a chance to make your case in court. And Jim just looks at him. He's like, for the record, I'm off the case. (laughs) So yeah, so this is clear police harassment. Obviously. Yeah. And that's kind of the joke, right? That he's getting right. harassed because they think he's, you know, he's part of this effort to tar two of their finest with a, you know, with the, with this brush. And it's like, it kind of sucks both ways. If the guys are dirty, it sucks because it's thin blue line stuff, right? It's like, yeah. no one, no one can criticize us, even if we are, you know, doing horrible things. And if the two cops aren't dirty, then it's just blatant abuse of power. Right. Yeah. It's wrong no matter what. Which is fine if it's like part of the story, but there's something about this episode where... It's a joke. Yeah, there's no real consequences for it because Jim, in the end, teams up with the cops, right? And like, all yeah. forgiven. It's not what I would prefer because, if nothing else, at least the 70s Rockford File series did consider things like police corruption as mm-hmm. as elements of issue episodes. Um and did address them with moral clarity, even if the story, you know, does always end up with like the, you know, the bad guys go to jail, um, et cetera. I just don't have that sense in this episode. I mean, and I think the thing that kind of really digs in, uh, rather than just like being like, oh, this is this is this, and then let you know whatever is that. It, I mean, Jim is older now, but we tune into the Rockford Files to some extent to see Jim see an injustice and dig his heels in. Mm-hmm that is the that is the, one of uh, his core character traits yeah yeah that is a core character trait and like what he's doing every time in these scenes is trying to appease them mm-hmm. every time now i'm not saying that jim doesn't do that because there's this self-preservation thing that jim has going like if a mobster has a you know a gun or is some t- threatening some sort of violence he's like okay whatever you want because it's better to remove myself right. from the situation than to like sacrifice myself on this altar. So yeah, but we don't get any of that, either of those feels here. Mm-hmm. All we get is Jim. I wouldn't even characterize it as whiny, but it is a little whiny. He's, he's a little petulant about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm off the case. Why are you harassing me? Mm-hmm. Instead of like, why would you harass anyone for doing this? Right. You've picked the wrong person to harass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I guess there's not a whole lot we can say on it aside from that. Yeah. But there's a couple notes later on where it gets a little, you know, the cops are the real heroes. You yeah. Know, that kind yeah, of yeah. thing. But just, but yeah. 
it's time for us to take our traditional intermission as we all need a little break to head out to the lobby, take a little stretch, get a snack, a drink, reflect on what's come before and anticipate what's to come in this episode of the Rockford Files. We also like to take this time to remind you of where else you can find us on the internet. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find me at my website, dig1000holes.com. That's 1000, the number. Uh, or you can find me as Epidiah on the Mastodon instance, dice.camp, or on co-host. Where can our listeners find you, Nathan? All of my games, zines, podcast projects, and other work are at ndpdesign.com. You can also find me at NDP on co-host and over on Instagram at ndpdesign.games. And of course, you can always find this show, 200 a Day, at 200aday.fireside.fm. And now we return to the continuing adventures of Jimmy Rocco. Our next scene, however, is uh, going back to Angel on the beach. Mm. Again, this is fun to watch because we like watching Angel. Angel. Going back through it now, yeah. it's a bit of a filler. <laughs> this is a bit of a yeah. filler scene. <laughs> but Angel does have this great combo where he's on the payphone. He also has a cell phone. So he yes. keeps switching between them. Also, he's given the number in the restaurant. And the guy who runs the restaurant comes out and is like, you can't have people use my restaurant phone for your yeah. business. You, you've never even paid for a cup of coffee. Like, yeah. come on, Angel. I'm going inside and I'm hanging up. Oh, don't hang up. I don't even know who's calling. What? Jimmy will never forgive you if you hang up. Oh, please. Hold on one second, please. I'll be right with you. Don't hang up. Jimmy, Jimmy, can you get that phone in your trailer? And if it's anybody but Mel Gibson, hang up because I don't want to tap the lines. Ooh, that could be Tom Hanks. Uh, Put him on hold, Critch. I should have said Sharon Stone. So my question here, I mean, again, it's a funny scene. He keeps straight. This is where he's dropping all these A-lister names. Mm -hmm. But my question here was, I was like, who is he conning? Yeah. He's already making things up. But I'm like, who for whose benefit? I mean, I get that he is trying to run a con on someone. I mean, it could be that he's just trying to get these people to think that other A-list, you know, actors are all competing. Right, right. I guess I'm just curious about, like, who's actually on the phone, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, like, one of the people he talks to, he talks to them like they're a, a subordinate of his. Why aren't you in that meeting right now? Or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, but, yeah, it's just kind of like, yeah. all right, angels making deals, I guess. <laughs> what... Also happens here is uh, Jim comes back, I guess, from traffic school. And there's this couple waiting outside his trailer. A woman wants to get her picture. because oh, yeah. she, she cried when she read in the article about his story. And her husband is like, I can't believe you made me dry an drive an hour and a half to take a picture of this guy's cheesy trailer. <laughs> she says it's history. I read it in the newspaper. It was published. That makes it history. <laughs> and she wants a picture with Jim. I kind of thought there'd be a little more of this. Yeah. Another pressure on Jim of people like wanting to get photographs or yeah. anything. Yeah. Get close to him. It's, it's mostly, I think it's just the scene, but uh, you know, it's, it makes the point. It's kind of funny. Angel uh, intercepts Jim as he's going into the trailer. Uh, he's still there because his car's stuck. He needs Jim's triple A card and Jim's like angel. And he, and he cuts him off. It's the card, the car or the couch. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good life. The woman, you know, gets her picture. She asks Jim, can you smile? And he says, not with any sincerity. 
<laughs> we go to evening and Jim is calling Bree. He wants her to can the retraction. Yeah. He's mad as hell. And she says, and you're not going to take it anymore. So I was a little confused. I was like, what happened to change his mind? Uh, but as we get through this, I guess I pick up why he's doing mm-hmm. this. Jim wants Bree to in her next story, say that she, he is taking Booker's cases with special attention to the sexual harassment charges that have been made against the police department. He doesn't see how it's going to make anything worse because nobody hurts a star. She's like, what? He's like, well, Angel Martin is shopping my story all over town. It's going to be in your local multiplex by the fall. And make sure you put that in, too. And I was like, okay. Yeah. For some reason, he wants to seed this idea of the movie. He's They're making a movie of him. I was trying to figure it out, too, because it's like, okay, so there's three things that could be going on here. And it's probably a combination of the three. Like, number one, it's a classic Rockford. I'm not taking the case. I'm not taking the case. I'm not taking the case. Okay. You've upset me enough. I have to take the case, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like that's a, a, a trope throughout the Rockford Files. Uh, usually doesn't take us the half of a TV movie to get there, mm-hmm. but we got there. Yep. There's also a, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm going to get some protection from the cops because they realize that now. There'll be a more of a spotlight on them. Kind yeah. Of. When, when, when they found out that she was a reporter, they shut up. Now they're going to do the same because there's going to be a movie about what's happening and they don't want the movie to be full of all these cops harassing me. Uh, And then the third, which maybe wasn't something I was thinking of at the time, but like becomes clear as this, uh, the rest of the episode unfolds is I'm saying that there's a movie about this um, that might bring Booker out of hiding Mm. to get a piece of the action. I'm lighting up the, the, the bat signal with dollar signs. Yes, (laughs) Yes, exactly. <laughs> the Booker signal, if you will. The Booker signal, yes. So we then go to Jim going to uh, find and talk to Val, uh, the woman who made the complaint. You know, she she lets him in after looking at his card. She's clearly packing, uh, packing up the apartment. So a thing from the, her her initial complaint, which she says, like, I'm a single mother. I'm working. When when these guys are doing this to me, they're really impacting my my family, right? So that was yeah. already mentioned. And then Jim uh, comes in, kind of wants to ask her some questions. And she says, I don't know if I want to answer any questions. I think they established that, like, he, you know, overheard her make the initial complaint or whatever, because she remembers the line about, like, interfer- restraint of trade. Um, yes. Yeah, you're really <laughs> funny. Anyway, her son isn't there. Uh, and then she's like, I don't know if I want to talk to you anymore. And Jim says that, well, you already told me a lot. You already sent your son somewhere for protection. That tells me you're worried. You got him out of town. And he thinks that she was pressured into making those charges. He says, like, women like you know what you're getting into with that. You know what kind of result this kind of charge is going to have Mm -hmm. for them, but also for you, right? You know there's going to be blowback on you. So you must have gotten pressured into it. And Jim doesn't know who's behind it, but if they, whoever they are, learn that their leverage with her is gone because her son is not there anymore, that could be bad for her. She has to think about it. She hears a metal sound. Uh, she's she's clearly in a high state of tension. Agitation. Yeah, yeah. So she hears something out back. It sounds like the door to their alley that, that sometimes people come in. She has him check. He doesn't see anything. Uh, she says she doesn't know what to do. Whatever she decides to do is going to be wrong. And then she says, and Buddha is unforgiving. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, so that guy must be Buddha. Yes. Jim proposes that she should go talk to Becker again, says that he's a good cop, 
if she's straight with him, he'll be straight with her. And we have a gag here. She might she might want the heat he's carrying. And she says, "Wait, you don't have a gun?" He, he says, that, "Well, I have a gun, but I leave it at home in the cookie jar." <laughs> we then go to ominous slash kind of actiony music as we watch Jim take her bag, take it to his car. Then she kind of runs over to get in his car. And then we cut to seeing the eyes of our goon little Cicero over a steering wheel. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-oh. They start to leave and he just zooms out of an alley that's kind of facing onto the street, rams the front of Jim's car. It knocks both of them unconscious. You know, his crew rolls up in another car. They pull Val out of the car, take her away and leave Jim bleeding from the head unconscious in the fire in the dramatic peak of the episode yes yeah the things turn pretty dark here it's dark for the characters and it's dark for us because uh i was anticipating a car chase and we we got not that but that's fine just another totaled firebird keep racking them up (laughs) but yeah this is punctuated by uh a scene a short scene of cops walking around with flashlights searching an area finding a bare foot and then seeing Mm -hmm. that indeed poor val is dead Mm-hmm. And we have a close up of the hand reaching into her jacket pocket and pulling out Jim's card, all yeah. bloodstained. They nailed them. They found the culprit. They found the culprit. We then go to Jim waking up in the hospital. And guess who's <laughs> waiting for him? Booker. So we kind of have Jim and Booker hashing it out. Jim fills in our supposition. Jim mm-hmm. knows he's there to cut himself into the movie deal. He gave Bree that item to 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 you know smoke him out. Knew he wouldn't be able to resist it. And Booker's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't even see that. I'm just I saw what happened to you on the news. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry doesn't even come close to cutting it, Booker. But Jim, I didn't want this to happen. I had no choice. Hot, cold, up, down, paper, plastic. We all have choices. You made one. You figured my butt would look better in a sling than yours. I mean, you suckered me into taking a case I still haven't figured out. And you used Letty to do it. She gave a great performance. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. So Booker can make up for it by telling Jim what's going on. So it turns out that Booker himself was subcontracted onto the Citizens <laughs> Board inquiry case by another PI who then, like, went to the hospital for, emer- for quote, emergency nose surgery or something. Mm-hmm. So he turfed it out. <laughs> um, and then Booker, once things got hot, dumped it on Jim. I think he mentions Val. Jim asks if she was on the news. She was in the car with him. And Booker reveals to Jim that they found her, you know, dead. They found her. Yeah. They pulled her out of the water in a drainage canal. Jim shouldn't have gone near her. That's what Booker did, and he paid for it. Six guys with a guy named Cicero calling the shots beat him up. Jim wants Booker to get out of town. Do you know what that would do for my reputation? Only improve it. (laughs) Uh, By now, Jim is up out of bed. He has a big bandage on his head where he's bleeding. Um, But, you know, that's not going to keep him down. He turns around to start taking off the hospital gown to change. He's telling Booker, okay, let's take everything we both know, go to the cops, (laughs) get them on my side for once. So he says that we're seeing Booker over Jim's shoulder. And when he says, let's go to the cops, yeah. Booker's face just goes like, oh, no, 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 no. no, like, no. Like, is like, absolutely not. And he just walks out of the door. <laughs> and so Jim keeps talking and then turns around and Booker's gone. It's a good bit. It's a good bit. Yeah. Jim, of course, goes to talk to Becker, tells Becker everything that's happened and uh, says something like, and that's why 
the two cops are getting framed. <laughs> Becker's like, wait, you agree that they're being framed? Aha, weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> yeah. He says, you know, it's really sad what happened to Val. She was a Buddhist. Did you know that? There's this whole thing establishing that Jim is like, oh, when she mentioned Buddha, it's because she's a Buddhist. Yeah. It's a little awkward. It feels a little shoehorned in. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be awkward if it wasn't a Rockford Files, I think is what it is. Like, because yeah. usually they're pretty good at that kind of stuff. Like, even if it was like she mentioned Buddha and maybe and, and as like, maybe she was Buddhist. Yeah. I feel like there's even a more like a smoother way to to create that. It's not uncertainty for us, but I guess uncertainty for Jim. Yeah. Uh, there's a Richard Gere joke. Mm-hmm. I don't know any Buddhists. There's Richard Gere. He's a Buddhist. I don't know Richard Gere. <laughs> I mean, what's her name? must have been buddhist at some point right uh well i mean i the title of the episode is quickie nirvana right oh uh uh sky yes yes yeah yeah but it's been some years it's been like 20 years <laughs> um commander gage makes an appearance yelling about getting a decent cup of coffee around here sees jim thought we had you on ice down at county general jim says <laughs> i'm a fast healer jim wants to talk to hollis and lopez the detectives Gage can't turn him down as the official representative of the city's citizens committee. Uh, there's a gag about Jim's movie career. Mm-hmm. So we finally have a, a, a sit down Hollis and Lopez, Jim, Dennis and Gage, I suppose. Uh, so he wants to know their story. And it's that they got a verbal tip from another person that Val wanted to talk to them. And now that other person denies that that happened. Yeah. Val saw them. She started acting scared. She said that she was worrying about her pimp, seeing them talking. Uh, and she feeds them a story that gets them to, to act the way that whoever took those pictures wanted them to act. Mm-hmm. It's all one, one frame up. Uh, her pimp is little Cicero. He's apparently notoriously violent. It makes sense that she would be afraid of him. Uh, Jim wants to try and find him, and they say, well, we don't think you should look for him. <laughs> but if you have to, you know, like his street mm-hmm. or any strip joint in town. Or in Detroit, fighting the crow. Or in Detroit on Devil's Night. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we have now, I mean, I guess there could be like a double reveal, like sure, they're framed, but they're also yeah. dirty or something, you know, like, but that's not the sense I get. This is the thing, right? At this point, I think we as the audience are supposed to breathe a sigh of relief. Yes. Yeah. I, that's what it feels like. And uh, I just feel slightly disappointed. That's all. <laughs> yeah. However, this disappointment is offset by the fact that Jim and Dennis are going to go on the beat together, which is. Mm-hmm. We have some Jim and Dennis buddy cop action, I suppose, <laughs> buddy yes. investigation action. We come to them arriving at the Gold Pagoda. We have some dialogue. They've hit eight strip clubs so far. Everyone knows who Cicero is, but doesn't know when he'll be around. Dennis invited him, invited himself along on this one. He didn't have to come. But Dennis says it's official police business. And he wants to come into the place this time. And Jim wants a shot at getting some info. They'll make Dennis the second he comes through the door. But you got to stay out here. Plus, I like knowing that someone is covering my back. Mm-hmm. So we go inside. You know, we see Jim... Uh, my notes are appreciating the scenery in the strip club as he comes through. It would make sense for him to act like a customer, right? Because that's kind of what he's yeah. doing. But it was just, I don't know. It was kind of a funny note. <laughs> um, he talks to, I guess, the DJ uh, I eventually figured out. I'm like, who's that guy yeah, yeah. standing there? Because the frame is, the, the camera's in kind of a weird spot. But I think he's the DJ. He's holding his his headphones in his yeah. hand at some point. And so, you, yeah. The music, by the way... 
is exquisite. Again, should have said Defoe. Uh, he's trying to find a customer, says talk to the boss, Mr. Brown, mm-hmm. the albino. And we see over Jim's shoulder, he like looks and there's like yes. a little alcove, but that's where the guy is. And then the DJ's like, you have a problem with that? <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, it's very weird. Um, but yes, this is Buddha. Yeah. He's in the same outfit, like he's in the same green robes and everything. Every time we've come into his space, there's like a couple women dancing, like just directly in front of him. And then he like motions mm-hmm. them away for whatever his business is. Um, he wants, so Jim wants to talk to little Cicero. There's this long pause. And then Buddha says, he don't hang here. It makes a little motion. And one of his goons is like, no, Mr. Brown would like me to escort you to your car. Jim has a good thanks. I've been able to do that on my own for years now. <laughs> but as he leaves, he just happens to see Cicero coming out mm-hmm. of it, like, like out of a hallway kind of behind the DJ. He sees Cicero. Cicero see, sees him. They both realize who the other one is and they both start running. Jim yells to Dennis. He's going out the back. Block him. But <laughs> Dennis is just barely too slow. And Cicero comes shooting out of the back in his own car, hits the front end of Dennis's car, which pops his tire. So there's yes. again, no car chase for us, but some smash em ups, some smash em ups. Becker is mad. <laughs> <laughs> despite jim saying you almost got him you were almost in time i'm mm-hmm. gonna put a good word in for you something you can crow about dennis do you see me crowing <laughs> all this stuff has jarred his memory and jim remembers seeing that face in the car that rammed them becker will be bringing in not just val's pimp but her murderer her mm-hmm. murderer her murderer that's easy to say her murderer um Back at the station, Becker is going to see Gage. He's intercepted by Captain McEnroe, who wants to know why he learns about everything going on in the department in the news over his morning <laughs> croissant and coffee or whatever. He has witnesses that say that Becker is leaking info to that Lambert woman, and he wants to know what he's what he's told her. And Becker says, no comment. And then there's a gag about, what do you mean no comment? I told her no comment, not I told you no comment. You- yeah. Yeah. So who's on first? Yeah, it's a who's on first gag. So putting a little pressure on on Becker. Um, but Becker does get Gage for a few minutes, explains they have a positive ID and witness for little Cicero in the car. Becker is gonna need a loner for a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh Gage says you trash department property, but you get an eyewitness. Guess that's a fair trade. And we end with this kind of weird exchange. All I need is to find a smoking gun for little Cicero. And Gage says, you will. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that a vote of confidence? Or is that a like, we'll manufacture this if we have to? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or like, you will or you'll lose your job. Kind oh, of. Oh, yeah, it's, that could be the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere, but it was just like the line delivery. I was like, oh, that's yeah. awfully intense. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, boy. This next scene. Mm-hmm is a screwball comedy dropped into the middle of our (laughs) Rockford Files movie, which is not necessarily unprecedented, but the structure of this particular scene is like... It's it's fun. It's really fun. I'm not trying to say it shouldn't be here. It's just, as I'm kind of like skimming my notes, it's like, um, have you seen Faulty Towers? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, It kind of is like Faulty Towers where like it just builds and builds with all these like... All yeah. these callbacks, like all these like uh, uh, iterating 
factors until it just crescendos. It's not. It doesn't crescendo funny. Like the crescendo is actually uh, a counterpoint. Right. Um, almost spooky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. It's. Um, I like the scene. It's fun. Uh, it's. It starts off feeling like a screwball comedy. It. It progresses into this uh, dark comedy thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. It's not directly on the tail of, but we, you know, we're still kind of like this woman has been killed. Right. And that's like the less less of it that we're really going to care about deal with in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think before we started recording, I think I was saying that this is maybe the most feels like a 70s episode of the movies we've watched so far. (laughs) And specifically like a 70s episode that is a romp. Yes. A lot of this stuff happens. A lot of it, there's lots of good jokes. A lot of it is very funny and wry. There's a plot and maybe something serious happens, but that's not why we're here. And that's kind of this whole episode. Epi, tell us what happens in the scene. Okay. I don't have the, the write up that you have. So, uh, Jim and Brianna, uh, Bri- sorry, Brianne, Brianne are, are going to, uh, I can't remember the name of the restaurant now. The, the one next to his the house. Sandcastle. The Sandcastle. Sandcastle, yes, thank you. What's going to happen is everyone that we've ever met in this episode is going to show up at the Sandcastle. Uh, and Jim is going to go through a lot of trouble trying to make sure that they don't run into each other, right? So he so shows up with her first, and then I think Booker shows up next, and then Angel shows up, I think is the order that it uh, takes place in. And each time someone shows up, Jim excuses himself from the table uh, and tries to intercept. And there's reason for this, right? Like this is a um, the the fox, the geese, and the grain that you're trying to get across the boat with the boat. Jim, yeah, Jim doesn't want Bree to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some banging on this. I apologize. Um, does, yeah, doesn't <laughs> want Bree to talk to anyone. Doesn't want Booker to talk to Angel. Doesn't want. Mm-hmm. Angel to talk to Booker. Yeah. And Harv isn't involved, but Jim feels bad. So he wants to yeah. apologize to Harv. <laughs> yes, I forgot about Harv. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because Harv is eating alone on the heels of all these broken lunch dates. This is also yeah. where Harv is very specifically reading the brand new publication from uh, best-selling author Stephen Cannell called King oh, yes. Con. This this book came out like the summer that they were doing post-production on the movie or that they're wrapping production on the movie. Nice. I made a note to uh, see if my local library has King Con to check out and see and read. I'm going to check mine. Um, you know, so there's lots of good gags here. Okay. So Bree and Jim, you know, are the the first pair to, to launch this whole thing. And Bree says... Uh, <laughs> Is your life always like this? I mean, I know it must be exhausting, but it makes for great copy. <laughs> um, she's really high on the story. She says Pulitzer has been mentioned. And Jim, this is when Jim sees Harv and goes over to apologize to him. <laughs> so Jim is explaining he's having a business meeting. You know, it's a business dinner or he'd invite Harv, etc. Yeah. That's why he sees Booker. But you didn't really expect me to go walk into some old police station under my own steam. Uh, I had to split. You can understand that. But you're here for me now. To the wall, Rocco. What are you doing? I'm watching for your nose to grow. (laughs) He specifically says that Booker is paying for anything he orders. Like, you sit down and wait, order something, but you're paying for it. Which I like. (laughs) This whole whole thing is also 
punctuated by the owner of the restaurant being like, Jim, I need my tables. This is the busy right. time. And Jim's like, just one minute. Just don't sit them together. Do you want me to put you all at one big table? No. No. <laughs> but here's the thing that I thought was kind of the, the note here where Bree gets increasingly yes. uh, irritated yeah. that Jim keeps leaving. Mm-hmm. So during this time, she's ordered a, a bottle of wine. She's drunk the entire bottle of wine by herself. And he hasn't even really been gone that long, honestly. We can talk rain check tomorrow, but right now you're going to have to leave. What does that mean? The dinner date from hell doesn't include dinner? There's a certain urgency here. Yeah, I picked up on that. Yes. And I'm like, dinner date from hell? You want to interview him to for your column? <laughs> yeah. She, she has this line about, like, I don't like eating alone. That She's like, we should order another bottle of wine because I don't mind drinking alone. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a... Uh, it's a little wacky. It's wacky, yeah, yeah. So we've seen this in other Rockford Files things where like somebody's try some woman is trying to spend some time with Jim and he's being uh, distracted by a case or something. Uh, but this one is definitely like like you said screwball comedy feel to it because it's just one thing after another and after another. Like trying to record a podcast and then suddenly <laughs> somebody starts banging on the wall and then a dog starts barking. Don't know what you're talking about. It culminates with a phone call from Dennis. Now, Dennis calls Jim, this is important, from a cell phone while on the road. I don't know why it never registered to me that Angel was using a cell phone and a payphone. You know, like they had the whole moment where Angel was using the cell phone, the payphone, the sand dollars phone and Jim's phone all at once. And it did. I was like, oh, cell phone, whatever. The Angel would have a cell phone. There's a Dennis has a cell phone. <laughs> One hopes it's being paid for by the department. Yeah. He's sending Jim protection. He's like, are you sitting by a window? Don't. Because don't. Yeah. While making his report to Gage, they, they notice something. Little Cicero knows that Jim is the only witness that ties Cicero to Val's murder. Yes. So Jim's in trouble. Uh, and he ends it with this great line where he's like, go home and don't forget to hit the cookie jar. And... I think they then they stepped on their own feet here because I think Jim then explains for the sake of the audience what that means by like asking him, does he mean, you know, get my gun or I can't remember what exactly it was. It's something like that. Yeah, we've already established in this episode that he keeps the gun in the cookie jar. So we're fine with that. Although we didn't see it. He did say it. Yeah, he told Val that he keeps the gun in his cookie jar. Yeah, exactly. So I guess it's like if you just tuned in for this for like the last half hour or something. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But it was good. I do love the the go home and don't forget hit to hit the cookie jars. Just yeah. that's going to be my go to phrase whenever <laughs> I'm talking to a friend in trouble. <laughs> we want a painless 2% and we want you to go home and don't forget to, don't hit, the forget to hit the cookie jar. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So he tries to hustle Brie out of there. This is where the dinner date from hell isn't even going to have dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh. She can go to her, her car or she can go to jail. He says the Malibu PD. Yes. And they can hold you for 24 hours without charges. She says that he's being heavy handed and sexist and she's going to write all about it. And Jim tries to explain to her, like, you weren't there last night. Mm-hmm. I got hit by a car when I woke up. Val was gone. And then they were fishing her out of a drainage pipe. Mm-hmm. These people play very hard and he doesn't want to see Bree get hurt or killed. That's when Booker pops up. <laughs> he's there to back Jim up. Brie pulls out her recorder at this point, and then we see that Angel is listening to them talk because he saw Jim leave. Yes. Can't believe that he got walked out on. 
Because his whole thing is like the movie deal or whatever. Because he's like, Jim, you're trying to cut me out of the movie to do it with Booker, but he's out and I'm in. And Booker picks him up by the lapels. Is like, it's my movie too, or it's my story too. And this is, I love this. You're a composite. (laughs) (laughs) So this is all happening. Jim turns back around and Bree is gone. And this is obviously concerning. Jim's like, okay, we all split up, you know, take a third of the, of the parking lot. Booker is there to back him up, you know, because Jim's like, there's no movie. And Booker's like, yeah, I'm here to back you up, even though there's no movie. Sure. (laughs) And then they turn around and Angel is gone, which honestly Mm -hmm. seems about right. But it is framed to be ominous. Yeah. Yeah. Jim doesn't like what's happening. He's talking to Booker. He turns back around. (laughs) And instead of Booker is little Cicero with a gun. Yes. (laughs) So that's very serious and then we cut to becker driving with smoke (laughs) pouring out from under the hood of his loner car i guess yeah um and then when he parks his bumper falls off waka waka but the the two vice detectives who had been sent down there to be protection for jim run out of the restaurant he's not there and the manager tells them how they all walked out together they all walked out of the restaurant together jimmy the newspaper lady the big guy jimmy did time with you know the one who's supposed to be dying and then right after them, that scuzzy little guy, what's his name? Angel. Yeah, there were no reports of a disturbance, no sign of a struggle. That's right. They just walk out here and they're gone. Like an alien abduction. Uh, and then the music hits after the alien abduction line, and that's great, too. Now, since we had this discussion at the top of the show, I'm realizing that this is probably uh, X-Files... Uh, commentary. Some X-Files influence? Yeah, you could obviously mention alien abduction without the X-Files, but I think that, like, it's in in the air because of that. It feels like a very 90s yeah. kind of reference to me. Yeah, exactly. Alright, well, as we might expect, our passel of goons hustle them into the Gold Pagoda, which has a big close for renovation sign, so you know mm-hmm. something underhanded is going on. Angel's doing his angel thing. There's a mistake. Oh, so you don't want to do this, etc. And he leads up to, I have a poker game at Poitier's house, and I don't know if either of you know how hysterical Sydney gets when someone's late. <laughs> they are brought before Buddha, who is revealed to be Buddha by someone calling him Buddha. Mm-hmm. But Buddha's like, why did you grab all of them? That was stupid. <laughs> Bree's going to get the newspaper on them, as well as the cops. And then he says something like, ah, but no one's going to miss this guy. <laughs> the angel. Um, Angel tries to talk himself out of this by spreading this wild religious... Right, because this guy's Buddha, and Angel is a- Angel. I know by your blessed name that you're a man of Holy Spirit, sent to aid and sustain those who wish to follow in your blessed footsteps on the path to salvation and enlightenment. I myself am called Angel. He told us he was going to play poker with Sidney Poitier. A game of skill and simple pleasures, the money of which goes to the youth foundation of my church. Which is? Which is what? Your church. What is your church? First EM, first church, Southern Buddhist. Throw some water on him or plant him. So this goon throws Angel to the side and then pulls out his gun like just going to shoot him right there, I guess. Yeah. Jim grabs his arm, forces it up, shots fired into the air, pandemonium ensues. 
So, you know, this is a very frenetic punch him up fight scene. My only note here really is that we get a cut to each of our characters to see their character in the fight. Yeah. I really want to be like, oh, this is a a really fun fight to watch. And it's fun. It's fun. But Angel steals the show, I think, in this, uh, in a way that I honestly was not expecting at all. Yeah. You you can't even be mad about it. It's actually pretty funny. Like they're in a strip club and there's like angels hiding under something on, you know, like crawling on the floor, trying to keep out of the way of the fight, as you would expect him to do. He does bite a guy's ankle, which Mm -hmm. is great um, because he doesn't have to. He just, yeah, the most selfless act that angels ever done. Um, But then there's a woman crawling around, a stripper crawling around. Like taking cover under the like bar area. And the, the, the two of them hit it off. It's true love. They find love hiding in the middle of this gunfight. Angel like kind of gets in front of her and is like, don't move. Yeah. Other stuff happens and we cut back to them and he's like, okay, you can move a little. And she's like making bedroom <laughs> eyes at him. It's like, okay. Um, the cops bust in as Jim and Booker each have a goon up ready to punch. I sent you a screenshot. Becker yells freeze. <laughs> they each look at each other and then deliver yes. their respective punches. It's a good, it's, it's, it's good. good. The camaraderie of punching is strong. This is a, a friendship forged in prison. Yes. <laughs> so the other thing here is that as shots are going off, Buddha starts yelling like, stop shooting. I don't have any cover. And he's just kind of sitting there and like yeah. kind of wiggling around. So I thought that this meant that he like, I don't know. That, that he was like disabled or something. Like I thought that yeah. like that was supposed to communicate. He's wearing a robe that goes over all the way to the floor. It turns out uh, apparently he is too fat to move, which doesn't seem right. It doesn't doesn't appear right. <laughs> uh, it doesn't play well, and uh, I doubt it even played well back then. It's confusing, and then it doesn't matter. Yeah, so it's exactly. just kind of mean. But yeah, otherwise. Kind of a fun brawl. Like, a, it's mm-hmm. just a, a nice... It's the kind of brawl you would name the episode after if you... <laughs> Some kind of shootout, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So it ends... We got this aftermath with the cops there. There's some business with trying to get Jim to go to the hospital. And he doesn't want to go. I didn't actually take great notes on that because I was like... It didn't occur to me that this was going to grow. That's pretty much it. They're like, you need to go back to the hospital. His head wound opened back up. And he's like, I don't want to go. Uh... While everything's being kind of swept up and cleaned up, you know, like while the cops are, you know, arresting everyone and whatnot, Jim just falls asleep, which is, I'm going to say, one of the realest moments. I can 100% believe, like some of the other movies, I kind of like lean into the fact that they're old now, right? Like they're, they're, they're aging, obviously, you know. But this episode had a little moment with that with Booker, when he thought Booker was dying, there's like this, like... Well, we're getting to be of an age kind of thing. But that was it. That was it. And this one definitely, like, yeah, he's old. He's tired. <laughs> like, he's been through a lot today. Look at him. I'm sleeping the sleep of the just. Or the very, very tired. We also get the the resolution of our story. So Hollis and Lopez are there with, with Jim, or with uh, with Becker. And they say that once they saw Buddha, everything made sense. They each missed a connection. Jim missed that Val was referring to a person, not her religion. And they missed that Cicero was a front man for Buddha, not an independent operator. 
Uh, they have Buddha dead bang on some drug charge. And if he got convicted, he's going never coming out. He had multiple priors. So he had nothing to lose having uh, Cicero construct this frame to get the cops that had him, you know, dead to rights yeah. on the charge framed for corruption, throwing everything into confusion at, with the cops. And like, and then at trial defense could be that they were trying to frame him the way they framed Val, you know, like mm-hmm. planted drugs, et cetera, because they're corrupt. Yeah. So I guess that's our story. And yeah, after Jim falls asleep, uh, we then go to our final scene in the Bracklin Hospital, a private facility in Beverly Hills. Very plush. Jim is in a bed with a another bandage on his head, but it's a nice mm-hmm. bed. It's a big room with flowers and big windows. Bree is serving champagne to Booker and Letty. So uh, Jim in this scene is concerned a little bit about where he's at because he cannot afford this hospital. He knows that. Uh, but the uh, uh, newspaper is going to pay for it because I guess he got them a good story or he's been selling a lot of papers lately. I remember food being brought in uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to be served and people start taking. I wasn't sure what the food was. Yeah, it's like a little like breakfast tray or something. Yeah, but like people started picking at it and I was like, is that for public consumption? Is that like what, what's going on? Well, you know, it's Beverly Hills. They just have snacks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we get a scene where now the, the cops are uh, apologetic, right? Like, so uh, Gage comes in, Captain Gate, Captain? Commander Gage and, and Captain McEnroe, yeah. Yeah, they come in, uh, they tell him, maybe you're not the bum I always thought you were. And Dennis mm-hmm. is like, it was his own idea to come in to apologize. <laughs> they have a photographer to take pictures. Yes, of people shaking hands with him and uh, basically controlling the media or controlling the 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 narrative, right? Um, Becker is pumped because he got an official commendation along with Lopez and Hollis. Yes. So good for them. That's what Decker gets instead of a raise every yeah. single time. And then uh, we have a, the gag with Sally. Yeah. The sweater she's been working on, she gives to Jim. It is, I mean, I want to see Jim in that sweater at some point. It is (laughs) not necessarily his color or his style. It's a very pale pink is what it is. Uh, It turns out that Bree's working on a book, I think, called In the Company of Heroes or something like that. Yeah, and the joke is, Jim's like, oh, I don't know if you would call me a hero. She's like, oh, no, it's not about you. It's about the cops. Yeah, it's about the cops. We have a little button on Angel and his new girlfriend. Yes. Because they come in together, tell Jim he's out of the movie because he doesn't want to be in it, and then turn to Booker. Hey, it's the book man. Yeah. (laughs) They tell Jim he'll be the composite. And Denzel Washington's interested in that. Denzel. Denzel is interested in it. Uh, And then uh, everyone leaves. And Harvey comes in. Or Harvey was there all along. Just yeah. <laughs> just in the back, just alpha frame. He's carrying like a giant bouquet of balloons. <laughs> I was like, okay, who's Harvey? <laughs> like, what? This lends the most credence to the uh, imaginary friend theory. Yes. <laughs> like everyone like... else leaves and then Harvey is there. And Harvey has a hat, right? We talked about mm-hmm. Harvey's hat. Is he wearing the hat in this scene? I can't remember, but he has a hat. I don't remember. But the hat is reminiscent of Rocky's hat. So this is part of where my... Who brings an adult a giant bouquet of balloons if they're in the hospital? 
And the answer I'm, I'm assuming is no one. And, and instead you bring that to a child in the hospital. So now I'm like, okay, is Harvey like a, a figment, like a, so, something that Jim has, man, there's just no, there's no basis for what I'm doing here. <laughs> to create it, to just have Rocky around still. I had this thought because, you know, I don't see every second of the show because I'm looking down to do notes Mm -hmm. or whatever. I don't know if they did the like Jim looks at Rocky's picture in this one. I didn't see it either. Yeah, I don't know if they did. I don't know. Maybe Harv's a stand-in. Anyways. Harv says he needs to take off. Jim asks if he has anything to do. And he's like, I haven't had anything to do since I retired. (laughs) Yes. a good line. (laughs) So Jim invites him to share some peace and quiet. Harv says, it seems like everyone got something out of this whole thing except for you. And Jim says, I don't know. I think I got the best thing of all. A good friend. Yeah. They have a full menu here at this hospital to order off of. So he hands Harvey the menu. I'm thinking the whitefish and a bright Chardonnay. And, (laughs) you know, they're going to finally have that lunch they've been talking about the whole movie. Big shared smile. End of movie. And that's presumably on the newspaper's dime? Yes. Yeah. I think she says that the the Delhi Bolton's covering this day. Do you have any idea what you did for our circulation? That's what it was. Yes. So yes. I guess her her story about Jim has bumped their numbers. So good for them, I guess. Just so we're, Jim got his 400 back that he was missing, uh, paid for a lobster, paid for a prime rib, paid for, for a bottle of wine, uh, multiple traffic violations. Yeah, a lot of money and fines. Yeah. The car got banged up quite a bit. He went to the hospital once, which I'm assuming he had the copay. And then when he went back again, then it's on the... So from here on out, he's fine. But man, he did not come out ahead. He should (laughs) have stayed in Cabo, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Jim Rockford should have stayed in Cabo. Yes. (laughs) There is one final note here uh, in the end credits. Uh, This movie was dedicated to Louis Delgado, who unfortunately had passed away earlier that year. And so, you know, our our favorite Billings, mm-hmm. one of one of the greats, uh, we we lost him the year that they made this movie, and so there's a dedication to him um, at the end. Mm. Time time uh, makes fools of us all, as they say. Mm-hmm. Time is the great murderer and Mister Beanimer. Time is the great shooter outer at the Gold Pagoda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's the movie. I. I am tempted to just wrap it up because of the noises, but also they stopped. So I don't know how long I have. Um, Give it to us. What do you got? Nothing much. I mean, just the same stuff that I think I said earlier, which is that came away from this one with a good feeling. I was like, oh, this was a fun one. This might be one of the more fun movies. (laughs) I kind of forgotten that the last one we watched was um, was the one with um, uh, Megan, Megan Doherty. Yeah. Which kicked off our Megan Doherty watching cycle, Trilogy. which was one of yeah. one of my favorite things uh, that yeah. we that we pulled together out of out of our non uh, timeline uh, uh, approach to the show. So you know, looking back at my notes on that one, I was like, okay, no, that one's the one that's called Punishment and Crime, which is why I can't remember it because it's yeah, not a completely great title. unmemorable title. But Punishment and Crime was like a good movie, yeah. I mean, it was there's good. A, there's a TV movie. It had its you know moments, but like especially, I think especially for Rockford Files viewers, yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot to sink your teeth into. Uh, it was darker than this one, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And so this one, in contrast, is much more of a romp. I think, as I said, and really, yeah, overall, just kind of came away being like, 
Yeah, this is like a solid like 70s era story. And yeah. it's not even padded out that much, so I think it's pretty well paced. Um, there's one of them in particular. I can't remember exactly which one, but there's one where it was like, maybe it was the one with um, Becker's kid, maybe, where it was like, this really seems like it was it would be better as just like an episode. We saw a two-part episode. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but the one with the rock and roll star that he was oh. investigating for, yeah. um, which was, you know, well done and enjoyed it, but... I think that's the one where I'm like, mm, these are the parts you would cut and yeah. you would have a, just a normal size episode and you would have been, you've been okay. Been you fine. would have gotten through. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that like this feels like in, in that zone of victory laps, right? Sure. Yeah. We're not pushing the boundary here. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've done, we've done a great thing. This wonderful body of work. Um, now let's, we're just going to have a little fun with the characters. Yeah. And it's a Juanita Bartlett script. So, you know, it knows the characters. Yeah. Um, there's just like a sous-song of the, like addressing like female protagonists in like a nuanced manner. Um, I kind of like that Breed doesn't end up being a love interest. Yes. Or like maybe she kind of wants to be, but like Jim just doesn't like, it's not, that's not what he's concerned about right now. Yeah. And really, she's mostly just flirting for the story, I think, is where we end up. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like that. It's a bit of a shame that Val dies. Because yeah. the first Val of the first half, she's not in a lot of it. But it feels like a Juanita Bartlett, like, hey, we're not going to uh, treat sex workers as less than human. We're not stereotyping, but we're and we're also not, yeah, treating as throwaway yeah. Paper, paper doll characters. Yeah. So, like, you know, Val is, she's got a right. She's going to stand up for him. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some good stuff in there. But, like, unfortunately, halfway through the show, they they murder her. And then that's it. Yeah. We hear, like, there's one thing where Jim is like, that four-year-old will never know what happened to his mother. Right. Because she sent him off to somewhere. And it's like, okay. Right. And like, that's pretty significant. The gym we know, mm-hmm. the gym we know has the skills and the moral center to mm-hmm. go find where she sent that boy so, off. Yeah. Do, to, figure to like, something out. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's, that is a problem in his wheelhouse to fix. And he's motive. He would be motivated to do it, but that's fine. Like I don't yeah, want to like kind of out of the scope of the story that they're that yeah. they're telling. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there is that there is that transition to like oh no the cop the cops are good. It was all a frame. Yeah. Jim's gonna work can work with them. Everyone's gonna shake hands at the end, which again does just feel a little like Jim. You're really gonna. And you you really going to be happy about this? And but it's not even that Jim is happy about it. It's more that the way it is framed and the way the story is told is not a story where we're going to interrogate how the police use their power. When they do come around to shake his hand, we and Jim are suspect of it. It is of itself a like, uh, no, guys, you, you did poorly here. We're not buddy, buddy. But also we've returned to to stasis. Yeah, and also, like, sure, we're not buddy-buddy with, like, the suits, but, like, Ooh. Jim and the two cops, like, they're all buddies now. Yeah. You know, they're grateful to him for what he did. He's grateful yeah. to them for helping save him, you know, at the shootout. Now they're all friends. <laughs> but sometimes that's how it goes. It's not a... It does not make this a not enjoyable movie or anything. But no, 
I think for me and for you, it just stands out because it's a little not Rockfordy. Yeah, yeah. But there is a lot of Rockfordishness here. Angel is 100% on point. Dennis, oh, yeah. as always, is 100% on point. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun to see uh, Booker as like a, a character that kind yeah, of is he's... touching on characters we know, but is a new character and managed to be pretty, pretty well drawn, I think, by the end of the episode. Harvey. Harvey's great. I hope he's in the next one. We have one movie to go, so. And I don't know his name, but the guy who uh, who runs the Sand Dollar. Yeah. Free. He's great. He is, because he's not mentioned by name, I think, in the episode. I was like, so I kept referring to him in my notes. I was like, the Sand Dollar manager. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that is, I think he's Mr. Francis. I'm seeing if uh, he has other credit, like if he's credited under the same character. No, he's only in this one. Oh, yeah, this guy. But I think that's him based on the picture. Yeah, yeah, that's him. He's been in a lot of things. Yeah, but I guess he's not in other episodes. I was like, I feel like maybe he's been in the other movies, but I guess just Sally. So I don't remember if we talked about this. I, I looked at her IMDb and went, oh, I think we talked about this. Anyway, so Sally is played by uh, Shirley Anthony. This is the third of the four movies that she's in. Um, she was in the first one. I still love L.A. She was in If the Frame Fits. She's in this one. And then she's in the next one. The final one. The final one. She, she was also a bit player in The Rockford Files. Oh, OK. Um, so I it really is a bit of a like one of those like we got the band back together roles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's in like seven episodes. But like the roles are like uncredited. <laughs> Yeah, receptionist, juror, receptionist, juror, receptionist, party guest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great, though. That's... So, good for her. Hey, she has a name in Lions, Tigers, Monkeys, and Dogs. Ren oh, Bagley. Nice. <laughs> Couldn't tell you what character that was. Anyway. No. She's fun. It's a fun running bit. It just, like, there's so much, you know, it's a movie. There's so much to go through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there we are, the penultimate movie. Um, I'm excited for the next one. The next one yeah. is the Rita Moreno one. Oh, that's good. Yes. I think maybe after that, we'll, if we feel like we have time, or maybe at another roundup, a good roundup moment, we'll uh, maybe do a little retrospective of our, how we, how we like the movies. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good spot. But right now, I think I need to go so that (laughs) all of these fun construction noises don't continue to, to underline our conversation. Um, But yeah. Always, always fun to hit the movies, even though there is a little bit of a run up of like, make sure, make sure I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, as always, it's always a pleasure to see just how perfectly all the characters are themselves. I thought Clint did great as the lead. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's seven for eight on the movies. Mm-hmm. We will be back next time. If, if this house survives, uh, <laughs> we will be back next time to go back to the 70s and talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. Jimmy! I'm stuck in the sand! (laughs) (laughs) Yay!